Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode of Monetization Nation with Justin Rondeau. In the first episode, we discussed the tectonic shift of software as a service, or SaaS, and why businesses are flocking towards it. In today's episode, Justin shares his top secrets and strategies we should know when creating a new SaaS product. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Recently, I made the switch to cloud-based video editing software, and I'm now requiring at Monetization Nation that all of my video editors use uh, WeVideo, which is the same thing that that a Google Drive, a Google Docs did to, to Microsoft Word. Um, we video is doing that same thing to to the Adobe video products. And and now you can do all your videoing up in the cloud. If I want to go and edit something, my videographer just sends me an email or sends me an alert and tells me the video is ready. I can just go look at it and we video. I don't have to download anything. I don't have to deal with some huge file on my mobile device. If I want to just edit a quick little thing out or drop a pin in the video, I can do it. So, so SaaS isn't just about charging a monthly fee. I think the SaaS model and this cloud-based SaaS model especially can provide a much better quality service in today's uh, distributed business environment. Any thoughts yeah, on that? What, yeah, what you're getting is, especially at, um, a lot of the tools now are making collaboration so much easier and remote collaboration at that. Like I think had it had like, uh, the pandemic hit um, maybe like five years ago, um, businesses wouldn't have been as effective going remote as they, as they are right now. And I think that's because of kind of the approach to collaborative cloud-based technologies. Like like without those, there it, things would be, things would have slowed to a halt. Things wouldn't have been like ruined, but <laughs> like everyone will find a way, but just the ability to collaborate and find ways to make it so that you can you can access what you need, like your your mission critical you know tools and and assets um, is is just a game changer. And yeah, I think I was a huge proponent. I think I, I talked a, lot, a whole lot about like, oh, I can't wait to go back to the office and those types of things. But the world's different now. The world's changed, and I think. No, we never. No one had to really stress test yet the different types of tools that were put out there to, um, uh, for collaboration. And then now they're seeing like, oh my gosh, like, I we we don't need physical spaces here. Like if we don't want them, like they they you can look at look at them as like you know you know a complementary aspect of things, sure. But the fact that they're no longer a necessary condition for running a company is is insane like it's a crazy crazy shift and i think that's like completely due to um to SaaS products and uh, like cloud-based collaboration yeah and that allows that that helps businesses in many different ways one of which being that physical office was one of the most one of the largest expenses of those businesses and by being able to remove the cost of that physical office it, it increases the chance of that business to be able to operate mm-hmm. profitably. On top of that too, when you're looking at staffing, 
Um, like we, we have both, we have a mix of um, like domestic coders as well as uh, uh, offshore ones as well. But now you're getting into more of like this asynchronous communication that's going on in this kind of remote world. So you, it's, I think it's not as difficult to have multiple teams or people in different areas of the world um, and getting them to, to work together on things. Um, yeah. When, when you worked in the office, like, I think there was almost a, a requirement, not a requirement, but maybe it was a, an assumed uh, just everything needs to be done right then. And that's like, it has to happen, has to happen, has to happen. And it can only happen between this time frame, right? With the, with the global workforce now kind of being able to, to be a part of this collaborative environment, that, that changes how people work together and how they set expectations of like deadlines and of just like when things are coming in. So I think it's a really, a really cool um, concept there because you don't have to just hire where you're at. You can hire virtually anywhere now. That's right. You can hire based upon talent and not just exactly. Um, let's say that I was a consulting client of yours and you were coming in and you were going to be advising me on how to create a new SaaS product. Can you talk me through your top secrets and strategies that, that I should know going into this? And I'll probably use this as the, these will probably be the bullet points of the number list <laughs> of your blog posts, but yeah, I think the, the first thing I do is, one, I just ask, why do you want to do this uh, first? <laughs> like, like what, what, why are you doing this? Because um, that'll tell a lot of things of like, if they're looking like to just be like, oh, because, you know, I, like people have software, we want to have a, a SaaS company, it's generally not good enough. Um, but the other thing too, it's, you need to start asking probing questions about like, well, do you have any, um, any visibility in the space that you're trying to provide value in? So do you own the media in some of that space or are you starting completely from scratch? Um, what I generally do, if I, were to, if, I, if I were to do everything kind of like over again for even like recess, I would have spent a lot more time. I wouldn't have even started developing the tool yet. I would have started by building up um, like probably like a content site or a media site to build an audience of people that had that, 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 were, that would be interested in the tool I'd want to sell in about a year. Yeah. Right. I'd spend a lot of time building that up because once you have that list of people and are able to, to work with them and able to um, kind of tap them on the shoulder, like, Hey, like, you know, all that stuff we talk about, that's great. Well, we created this thing. You should try it out. Um, so I, I building demand before you write a lick of code um, would be the first thing, like trying to, trying to build that audience or, or a group of audience that you believe would be interested in that. Then, um, as you're doing that and you're kind of working through like the prototyping phase and you're thinking through it, like keep it super, super simple. Like try like get like the whole idea of getting that MVP out is important and, and trying to avoid scope creep from uh, overall just like stakeholders. Cause what stakeholders don't realize when they say like, Oh, wouldn't this be cool? Um, a lot of people would be like, Oh, now I need to change my entire direction where what they think is like an offshoot of like, this might be this nice thing we could add at some point becomes almost a, a demand in someone's head. So it causes distractions and then scope creep happens. You wanna make sure you have, you know, you either have the audience or know, or have worked with, or know how you're going to generate the audience um, through partnerships or anything like that. So what's the, what's the launch plan there? Then it's, what are you trying to solve? Like what's the, the very specific problem you're trying to solve by developing this thing? Um, and then really, then you just start doing almost like I, I do a like a pre-launch 
um, like, hey, whatever thing is coming, like we, we, we've developed X, Y, Z. Like I think Pep, Pep Lye did it really well uh, when he put, win, uh, I think it's winter.io or winter.whatever. Um, it was when he was originally copy testing. He built, he had a media brand forever and training company. They were like, we, not, we want to create this widget that will help people write better copy um, through, through suggestions and focus groups where they would connect those people through their tool. And then, um, he would, he kind of launched that to his group, but as he was building it out, it was, he kind of started with that. Hey, we're going to develop, like we're creating copy testing. This is what it is. And he almost did a, a version of crowdfunding for it. Whereas like, if we can get enough people signed up interested in this, we'll build it. Um, so I think don't get into random acts of building, be very intentional about what you're trying to build, what you're trying to solve and make sure you sure that you are certain that you um, have access to the audience that you're, uh, that you're trying to solve those problems for. So if you can do those things, it's, it, it's all, it, then it goes into like the tactical. So like, those are the first three things that's like, do those. And if you have the checkbox and all those, then it gets into the tactical um, of you're going to want to make sure, like, depending on how strong the person is, if they're like a technical person that wants to launch a SaaS company that needs help with marketing or product development, um, it's a different kind of playbook. If you have somebody who's more product focused that needs to get somebody technical on there, it's a different, it's a, it's a similar, but different playbook there too, of like getting the right people in place, but you're going to need a, um, you know, tech heavy people, like obviously you need tech heavy people there. So really it comes down to, if you're going to be building something again, make sure you know the problem you're solving, keep it simple, stay on point, avoid scope creep at all costs and um, make sure you have access to that audience. The rest gets really, really easy after that. Yeah. And, and I love the simplicity point you just talked about. It's that 80-20 rule. Sometimes we try to build the software with every single feature we can think about. And we don't realize our audience is only going to use about 20% of those features. And by adding five times uh -huh. as many features as they really need, we, make, we add a level of complexity. Um, I started using Harvest, the, the software Harvest recently. And I love how simple it is. I didn't have to read a manual. I, I put in my my credit card and my information. And, and I was up and going within an hour with all of my people up and using it didn't, there, there was no complexity. And there is a, there's a power in simplicity. If we are willing to take the time to make our SaaS product simple, where people don't have to read a user's manual, they don't have to do a training course from us to, before they can use our SaaS product, um, the adoption curve is going to go a lot faster. And so disciplining ourselves to really identify what are the 20% of the features that our clients are really going to use can, can actually help the development and the growth and the profitability of that product. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think that there's one caveat there. Like obviously um, you want to make it as, as simple as possible that it can be, it can be understood without, it's like, it, it's like, if you have to explain the punchline of a joke, like the joke failed, if you have to explain how to use something, you failed. Um, but I do really believe, especially right when you start and right at launch of something, regardless of the price point of the product, what you need to be doing one-on-one -on -one onboarding with people, yes. even if it's dead simple and walk them through it. Cause that's going to give you um, one conversations with, um, with the customer Two, you'll get to see where you missed because once you, anytime you build something, you're way too close to it. You're just way too close to it. So you have an assumed level of knowledge at that point. And um, then you have people coming from a view from nowhere and that's where you're going to get to have like more of the, the breakthroughs. But 
even if you're, I don't care if you're $39 a month or $5,000 a month, okay? Like you have to have that onboarding level at the early stages. Um, obviously if you're 5,000, if you're like that, if you're that expensive at that point, um, you're going to have an account manager who'll be doing that stuff for you anyways. But eventually you could, you can take what you learn if you're kind of a lower ticket SaaS product um, and turn it into onboarding and those types of things. But early, early stage, get them on the call and walk them through it. My buddy, um, Dave, for um, what is it? Conversion.ai, when they launched, he launched on just like on Facebook, like he just was doing it because he knows all of his Facebook friends like are in the marketing space. Um, and he like, I commented, yeah, I want to take a look at it. He's like, cool, can you jump on the phone right now? And we jump on a phone call. He opens up, at, well, Zoom, sorry. We jump on a Zoom um, and he starts walking me through everything. And it's to me, I'm like, Hey, I'm a smart guy. I like to think I'm a smart guy. I think I can get through this on my own. But then I was like, Holy crap. Like, I know like, that's why you're doing it. It was one of those moments where I was just like, Oh gosh, I've been, I've been doing that wrong. Um, and I, I that was a very missed, I, that's a missed opportunity in a lot of the products that I've built. Um, and I was just like, damn it. <laughs> that's so good. Um, and that's why when it popped in my head just now, I was like, yeah, you absolutely need to be doing that. Even if it is the simplest thing. Uh, in the early stages. One thing I love that you just talked about or that, that he did in your example is he removed friction. He didn't say, go read this manual. Let me email it to you. He didn't say, why don't you schedule a time with me in two weeks? Mm -hmm. and I can fit you in. He said, hey, can you just jump on the call right now? Let's just go through it. He, he removed so many points of friction for you. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that and why it's so important to remove that friction? Yeah, you, you have to, I mean, really, I think removing friction is just you need to get them where they're at and when they're ready to act. Um, scheduling out, I mean, obviously that doesn't scale. What he did doesn't scale. But in, in these stages, you need to do the stuff that doesn't scale. Um, but removing friction, even, um, and I used to get mad when I get Calendly invites and those things. I'm a little bit over that now because I'm used to it in the remote world. When people are like, oh, schedule with me. I was like, no, you're trying to schedule with me. I don't get it. Ah, And so I have one of those moments, but that still is way more efficient than kind of going back and forth on how's your Wednesday? How's your Tuesday? How's this going? How's this going? So anyway, you can like, if you want to make sure that you have the fastest route to getting them to like a, a buying or to getting them to the decision moment, don't have all these like, uh, like earlier decision moments on, do I want to meet with this person? Well, what day? Oh, what if I can't make that one? And this, and this, and this, and this, you need to expedite to the most crucial decision which is whether they're going to use your application or not. Like the more you can simplify that, the better it's going to be. And that's where Dave really, really went out there because it was literally like, hey, dude, do you just want to jump on this thing? And he texted, I got a text with the Zoom link and that was it. Yeah. Um, I, he, the only decision I had to make was cash credit or debit or something like that. Like that was the decision. At that point. Paper and plastic, right? Exactly. All right. So... Any other stories or secrets that you would like to share that would could help a business that's considering going into the SaaS space that's just starting out? Um, create a solid handoff process between um, your development and like between development and product um, and create like uh, kind of milestone areas for when something can be handed off and get a, get a unified uh kind of definition of what done is. Um, a lot of the times you'll be working with developers who are putting things out and they'll, they'll, they'll pump something out and then they're like, yeah, this thing's done. And you're like, well, I'm not seeing it on production. Like, oh, well, it's on staging. So our definitions of done were different. And then that runs into 
missing, uh, missing sprint deadlines, um, frustration in communication, people not seeing what they need to be seeing and those types of things. So I think the big thing is get a definition of done, create a, a, a standard handoff process between product and development. Um, and then really just, I think the, the other thing is too, is just get constant feedback. Don't be afraid to get on the phone with people. Don't be afraid to do, do anything. If you're, if you're not willing to jump on calls and do demos, you're in the wrong business. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be willing to do that if you're going to get started in this. Love it. When I talked about kind of the oversaturation of subscriptions and like how we're competing against, like, like SaaS is competing with, with B2C, like with B2C subscriptions, just like, uh, you compete for attention in the B2B space for B2C ads or something like that. We're running into that scenario and I've been finding a lot that people just don't want another subscription. So one of the things I've been doing is trying to find like, like when I, and my more complicated applications, trying to find those nuggets of things that like could almost stand alone by themselves um, and see if I can do a, and I use that as a um, like perpetual license front end offer where, so like for true conversion, we have this, like one of the tools in the suite is a tool called smart funnels, which is a funnel tracking tool. But what we did was we pulled it out and marketed smart funnels as its own thing. And you can buy it for, it's, it's like, it's like you pay no subscriptions, no anything, it's 95 bucks. But then we created a funnel and a follow-up sequence that's saying, hey, like, if you want to, like, you, you hit smartphones, you have all the access that you need to that one. But if you want to access all this other stuff that would help supplement this a little bit more and give you, like, an unlock a ton of power, you can do that for by buying this subscription. So we're front-ending um, simpler pieces of technology and then back-ending the larger subscription. That's been wildly effective for us. And that's why I'm, I've been starting to look at how do we create these more hyper-focused single applications that work within a, like our, our, our tech stack that we could then use to upsell later into subscriptions. So I think that that's going to be more of a movement. You're going to see more people start creating um, one, like one-off payment applications um, that then funnel into the overarching um, uh, SaaS company or SaaS product that they're, they're looking at. Thank you so much, Justin, for sharing your knowledge with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways. Number one, we should start building an audience even before we build our product. The most important thing to do to have a successful SaaS product is to have a following of targeted customers who know, like, and trust us before we launch our SaaS product. Number two, before we begin developing a new SaaS product, we need to know the problem that the product will solve. Number three, we should create a demo or walkthrough of our product and get customer feedback before we officially launch it. Number four, we need to keep our products simple and avoid adding additional features that aren't essential. Number five, as the market is changing, it may be smart to offer hyper-focused single applications that customers can purchase for a one-time fee. These hyper-focused products can then be used to upsell later into a subscription. If you enjoyed this interview and want to learn more about Justin or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn or email him at justin at scalable.com or find out more about his company at scalable.com. And we'll include links to those in the blog post for this episode. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, if you visit monetizationnation.com, you can get a free monetization assessment for your business. Number two, also at that same website, you can subscribe to the Monetization e-magazine. Number three, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. 
And number four, please follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. Have you created a SaaS product? If so, what is your best story and secret about the SaaS development process? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in generating recurring revenue from your SaaS products. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.